Greetings, and welcome back to Anti-Monitor. October is here, so we have horror on the brain. This week, we take a look at the indie slasher that made animal masks scary again, 2011's You're Next. But first, we're going to talk about the classics, the slashers that give us the shivers. We hope you packed some weapons and tarps, because Anti-Monitor is about to get messy. Man, you are one pathetic loser. You're listening to Anti-Monitor. Doomrocket.com. Knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. Yes, that's right. I'm pretty sure that it's Anti-Monitor time again. My name's Matt Birdman Fleming, and across the table from me, as usual, Jared Jones. Editor-in-chief of DoomRocket.com and Real Cool Ghoul. Real Cool Ghoul? You sounded a little disappointed. As usual. <laughs> Across from me, as usual. As what's, usual. What's that supposed to mean? You know, the guy that's sitting there on the other side of this table. The, the, the usual guy sitting across from me, as opposed to who else? Who else do you got, Bird? That's true. There is no other. I'm sorry. I'm full of LaCroix right now. Dude. That's all right. I'm full, of, I'm full of the spooks right now. The spooks? And why would that be, Bird? Ooh. You know... A lot of people, when fall rolls around, they're sipping on their pumpkin-flavored stuff, and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I can't wait to put on a sweater, and oh, I want to walk around with the leaves falling down. Hell no. No? I'm all about October because of Halloween yeah. and spooky season. Yeah. I'm, so far, I, I've had to work a lot this last weekend, but yeah. I got a head start. Watched some horror last week with mm. my uh, with my sweetums. True, and uh, I signed up for uh, Shutter. Oh, we were. I signed up for Shutter. I'm just gonna keep it for the one month. So, for the folks at home who don't know what Shutter is, what did you just sign up for, Bert? Uh, Shutter is ostensibly a, a Netflix style streaming service that's specifically devoted to horror films. Yeah, um, and they've got really awesome subgenre breakdowns, and they. They don't have the most uh, extensive selection, but they've got some real good deep cuts. So it's different than Netflix that just has like this melange of really shitty one-star crap flicks. Yeah, exactly. Netflix is becoming less and less of a a necessity since I don't really watch any of the original programming. (laughs) But I'll tell you what. Any chance that I have this month to watch a scary movie, the better. And that's why I'm ecstatic. You're I'm shaking. I see it. I'm trembling with, <laughs> with terror uh, because it's definitely my favorite time of the year for yeah. anti-monitor. We get to watch the horror movies that we love and the ones that we mar- marginally tolerate. Yeah. Before we talk about the movie that uh, we watched today, which, mm-hmm. which I enjoyed, uh, let's talk about your favorite slasher film. We're going to talk about slashers specifically right now. Slashers specifically to celebrate the film that we are talking today? That's right. Okay. Um, my favorite slasher movie? That's right. You you care about me enough to ask that? Dude, I love slasher movies, and I would love to know what your favorite slasher movie I, is. I've known you for 14 years. This is the first time you've ever bothered to ask. Riddle me. 
Riddle me. <laughs> Stab me. Riddle in. Riddle in. <laughs> what, what's, what's the slasher that gets yeah. your blood boiling, Jared? Okay, so I thought about this. I put some real thought into it. And for me, the slasher movie is such a ubiquitous subgenre. Like, there's just so many of them. And uh, in any given year, you're seeing at least three of them in theaters. Um, there is a huge spectrum of quality, and a lot of them reside on the far left of that spectrum in the shit category. So for me, uh, the slasher movie needs to accomplish one of two things. One, it has to be inventive. Two, it has to be funny within reason. That's right. Three, it has to have a cast of characters I want nothing more in this world than to see dead. That's it. If they can master that, I don't give a shit who's doing the slaughtering. If their gimmick is kind of stupid, I don't care. As long as they get those three things done, I'm good. And in that regard, my personal favorite is a film that I feel is a classy affair for it. I put it in the middle of this mid-spectrum slasher flick, okay. and that is Scream 2. Scream 2? Don't look at me like that. I said two. Not one. Dose. Stab 2? Who's going to do that? Sequels suck. I love Scream 2 because, for me, it perfected Scream 1. It's one of those damn meta movies that's so self-aware that it's almost insufferable. But that's the point. Like, it, it's so meta, it comes back around on itself because they have that whole conversation about sequels just being shit in general. And then, you know, name check all the good ones. That's one of the good ones. Scream 2 took the original premise of being a meta self-aware slasher flick and then became a meta self-aware slasher sequel. And it did it magnificently. And... The the killers being the duo of um, uh, Timothy Oliphant and Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne. I'm like, yeah, that's top notch. Like you're 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 evoking the killer in Friday the Thirteenth, Mrs. Voorhees, in that moment there, and it gave me the spine tingly winglies. And not only that though, but Scream Two has one of my all time favorite actresses, Miss Neff Campbell. That's true. Oh. Neff Campbell is the uh, the thread through the Scream franchise. Scream mm -hmm. definitely reinvented, reinvigorated the slasher film. Definitely. Thank you once again, R.I.P. Wes Craven. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you about Scream 2. Scream 2 took what was already clever and fun and we're just, fuck it. Yeah. Let's it do it again and let's make it bigger and better. And it's awesome. Yeah. Well, in one of those inventive ways, it did what I didn't think it would actually do, which was kill off one of its core cast members. You knew one of them was going to get it. And I wanted it to be Dep Deputy Dewey, like David Arquette, but um, it was Jamie Kennedy. They killed him off. And I loved that. I was that character in high school. That's who I, I wanted to be. And yeah. they, they, they slaughtered the shit out of him in broad daylight, I might add. You remember that time in our lives mm. when Jamie Kennedy was tolerable? Yeah. There was a moment. It was brief. It was brief, but there was a window that he peeked through that we were like, hey, there's Jamie Kennedy. So good for him. Number one, the body count is always bigger. Number two, the death scenes are always much more elaborate. More blood, more gore. Carnage candy. Your core audience just expects it. And number three, if you want your sequel to become a franchise, never, ever... How do we find the killer, Randy? That's what I want to know. Now, do you have any any question for me? Uh, uh, you know what? It's tough for me. I don't think I do. Oh, wait. Oh, of course. I do have a question for you, Bert. Are you prepared for it? I think I am. All right. Well, um, since I have shared with you um, my all-time favorite slasher flick, thank you for asking, by the way. Absolutely. I now have to ask you, what is your all-time favorite slasher movie of all time? Of all time. I'm repeating. My Somebody get this guy a copy editor. I like this. Yeah. Um, my favorite slasher film of all time, and it is arguably 
one of the innovators in the genre, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm -hmm. 1974, Toby Hooper, mm -hmm. oft imitated, far too often rebooted and remade and just every single one a failure. The original 1974, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the way it begins, mm -hmm. the visceral sounds and the sh and the John Larroquette. And, and John Larroquette, yeah, John Larroquette, John Larroquette pre-Night Court. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. In particular, Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother, Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The movie is so grainy and grimy, and it takes its time. But then, just like out of nowhere, you know these hippie, these hippies pick up a crazy person. You're like, ah, uh, this can't be good. You should never pick up a crazy person who's yeah. just content to cut himself. This is Manson country. What are you stopping for? Exactly. Um, and you know, it took me, you know, as a teenager, it took me some a few different watches to really soak it all in. Mm -hmm. To be like, this is an important movie about. It's a, <laughs> listen, listen to what I'm about to say. Oh, good lord. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an important movie about impoverished families doing what they can to survive. What? Because they kill hippie kids and turn them into barbecue. They don't have link cards where they live? They don't have link cards where they live. They have a chainsaw and a, a freezer. They have equipment. They need one cow. One. They all the cows died <laughs> off. They ate and, all the cows. And then they find someone else with another cow, preferably of an opposite gender, and then they let those two cows mate, and they both reap the dividends. Well, but they found a cow. His name was Franklin. Oh, and good he was God. useless because he's in the wheelchair. Yeah. <laughs> um, I love that movie. Yeah. When I was uh, in my like early 20s, moved into my first apartment, I got all my movie posters everywhere. Mm -hmm. That was the one on the door. When you yeah. walk into, when you walk out of my house, you see that. <laughs> it's like, oh, good reminder not to come back here. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Even if one of them survives, what will be left? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Man, we could talk about a lot of slasher movies. And the movie that we talked, that we watched today, owes its existence to all of the forefathers. Definitely. Um, it's not a slasher film with a boogeyman at the center, mm -hmm. like uh, the sequels to Friday the 13th or the Nightmares on Elm Street or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Where the, there's a whole crazy hillbilly family, but there's a central monster. Uh, this is much more akin to the Scream films mm -hmm. because – it's a murder mystery. But it's murder by committee. Murder by committee. Yeah. Uh, and uh, what film is that? For? We're talking about the Adam Wingard, Simon Barrett collaboration, You're Next. One of them was in the bedroom. They've been watching us for days while we were sleeping. This wasn't a random attack, okay, Felix. Okay, okay. Yeah. 
these two, of course, are well known within the uh, indie film scene with the horror movies. They've contributed to the VHS. Yeah. They, they were the, the, part of the original VHS. They contributed to ABCs of Death, which mm-hmm. I just watched last week yeah. for the fifth time. Well, they had Q. Q for Quack. Quack. Uh, pretty clever. They're at least, if nothing else, a clever duo making films that uh, they want to make. Before we get too deep, I, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say it again later. But I think they're a little too clever for their own good sometimes. I agree. Because even though your next definitely has its thrills, chills, and spells, um, their follow-up, the guest, I feel, is vastly superior because it's not splatter for splatter's sake. It is a thriller. As garish and unseemly as it is, it is at its heart a thriller. There are horror elements to it, um, and I think it's just a stupendous movie, and I love its death. And then they went and ruined my life, or at least one evening of it, with their ill-advised remake to The Blair Witch Project, which I recently reviewed for DoomRocket.com, and I spent an entire evening trying to suss out why I hated it in 700 words or less. And what I came up with was they pulled the rug out from their loyal fan base. Everyone knew they had a project in the woods, and they kept it super quiet. It was called The Woods. They even put out a little... uh, a uh, bit of footage with the uh, title "The Woods" attached to it, and everyone's like, "What's this project? We've got to know." I mean, how are they going to follow up the guest? Ah! And then, boom! One like one month before release, Blair Witch in this crazy, awesome red poster with a stick figure, and everyone's just like losing their minds, and they think it's going to be the next best thing. I got pumped. I saw it at the music box, and I'm in a theater full of people, and they, they shot this thing, or they screened this thing in the main hall, and there was, like, you know, this huge introduction to it, and everyone's, like, really stoked, and everyone's, like, hyping your next and the guest before this movie began, and then the movie happens, and my heart kind of split in half. It, it was an utter letdown. It was a complete waste of both their talents, and so it's been very interesting for me to go back and watch this um, with a new perspective. Have you seen any of the other uh, features that they've done, like a uh, horrible way to die? No, I haven't seen that. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to see if they have it on Shutter. Sure, uh, watch that one or uh, what fun we're having. So, what we discovered midway through watching this movie mm-hmm. is that this is a this movie is an example of a subgenre of a subgenre. This movie is technically considered mumble gore. Mumble gore. Now, you mentioned this earlier today. And I can't believe this is the first time I've ever heard it because uh, in this sub sub genre exist movies not only have I seen but loved uh, the House of the Devil, Blue Ruin. These are movies that I absolutely adored. Little did I know that these little twee Canadian assholes cooked up a whole sub genre on their own, and now uh, oh, they're not. It's not Canadian. It's not. It's North American in general. All oh, these feels so. They're from everywhere. Feels so northern. Adam Wingard is from Tennessee. Joe Swanberg is mm-hmm. from Detroit originally. Now he operates out of Chicago. Isn't Ty West Canadian? No, Ty West is from Connecticut. Connecticut? Yeah. Okay, well, all right. Canada, Connecticut. Where the hell am I getting Canada from then? Wishful thinking. It's all the flannel. That's it. It's all the flannel and the, the woods. It's because they're all uh, making these movies on budgets of a million or less. So they got to go do it outside. Yeah. Outside is free. Outside is free. Usually. Yeah. Uh, Well, let's just dive right into your next. Okay. Uh, So for listeners, we would advise you to 
watch the film before listening, uh, lest ye be spoiled. Oh, it, it's going to be spoiler, spoiler town. Spoiler heavy. It's the town that spoilers forgot. That's true. Yeah. So this movie takes place not quite in the uh, traditional cabin in the woods, but it is very much in a remote location. Yeah. They got one neighbor uh, who is earring man, I wrote down. Yeah. Okay. They establish the sense of space not at all to me. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the the opening sequence, and 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 when you use the word mumble gore, I applied it to this first sequence. And I was thinking, okay, it's going to be um, kind of faux documentary shot. Like it's like, a lot of handheld cameras and probably a lot of quiet moments. How do you build suspense on that? And I was just like sitting back waiting to see how they could do it because I wasn't aware of this concept when I saw Blue Ruin, and they just did it. Like it just mounted and it just slayed me by the time it was over. But this, the opening sequence with Earring Dude yeah. and Naked Girl, Sex Girl, um, is that they both make themselves screwdrivers on opposite ends of the house. He has his with his shower. She has hers while she walks around the house naked. Screwdrivers. Yep. Screwdrivers. Orange juice and vodka. What the? Is that a couple thing? Have they been together for a while? Because she looked rather unimpressed with his uh, prowess. If oh, you know no, I mean. yeah. This was a, this is what do they call it? A May-December relationship? Sure. <laughs> the old, old schlubby man going through his midlife yeah. crisis. Right. Hooking up with a college girl. I want to. I want to just evaluate this opening sequence a little bit because it's still bugging me how bad it is. It's like it begins with Scrompen, which is fine, and then it ends with him going to go wash himself off, and not her. Do people have sex who make this movie? Because that's not typically how that works. <laughs> Usually, you no. go together, or she goes first. Who this guy? And so they walk around, and he. he He's washing. She's fine with whatever he left inside her and makes herself a drink because I would too after that. And I guess there's moments where they take the camera outside and shoot her inside walking around. They cut to him in the shower again. They cut to her putting on a CD. They cut back to him toweling off. They cut back to outside looking at her. And it just all happened so slowly that I didn't feel I didn't know if I was supposed to feel scared. I thought they were just taking creative uh, uh, liberties with the camera. Oh, see, now I, I disagree. Okay. I felt, I knew what they were doing because, first of all, the entire purpose of him being an evidently disappointing lover mm-hmm. is to establish, like, okay, the movie is starting. You know he's going to die. And now you don't give a shit about the guy because he's clearly a turd. Mm-hmm. He's got one earring and he's not Harrison Ford or Morgan Freeman. <laughs> so, you know, you've got midlife crisis dude and his girlfriend. We're supposed to not care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they keep going outside to let you know someone's watching. You you at least know the, con- the central conceit of the movie is going to be murder. Right. So I like I like the opening sequence. It doesn't hurt that that lovely Dwight Twilley song is playing on repeat through it the whole movie. It plays the entire movie. It plays during the credits. Well, it's, hey, you it's, know, that's the movie. <laughs> they don't have a lot of they don't have a lot of money. Of course, they got to get one song. Yeah, you got the one tune. But I like I like the way the title card is just "You're Next" in yep. blood after both of the uh, establishing dish, dipshits have been been slaughtered. Been KO'd, yeah, um, the whole concept of "You're Next." I guess makes sense once the big reveal happens. Insofar as uh, it applying 
to what happened the, the the skirmish that takes place directly afterwards everyone's next there's no your it's not like you and then you and then you i have an agenda and this is going in a specific or there's none of that and that's what i expected mm -hmm. so yeah the the title is kind of a MacGuffin. it is it's definitely misleading in a certain way um i think it's just a, a, a it's a cute uh name to have for uh of obviously what this is which is a loving ode to the slasher uh subgenre uh, applied through the prism of mumble gore now as a phrase that I'm going to use and hate myself for for forever. But let's move back into the plot. So we move on to a, another house, which we find out later is right next to the house we just saw this murder take place in. And it's this lovely um, estate with like old, you know, New English architecture and um, these two rather dapper looking yuppie types with sweater vests and pearl necklaces come out and i guess they don't have anyone taking care of the house because they're alone and they come in and dust off the table and no, get ready the, for dinner it, yeah it's their guest house it's their guest house but no one's taking care of it there's no groundskeeper that's a big ass house that was another question that, that popped up in my head i'm like who that rich would leave a house that big no matter how remote it is alone who Where's the security system on this thing? That's another thing that took me out of it. It's like, even though I know this is supposed to be a stupid, uh, you know, fuck you slasher flick, you got to establish some sort of rules for this thing that would happen. It's just chaos yeah, afterwards. That's true. I mean, I'm jumping ahead again, but it's there's no rules applied to this movie whatsoever. It's just like, here's, here's the sandbox. Here are the kids. Now here are the kids stabbing each other until the end here of the movie. Here are the toys. Yeah, exactly. It, it, there's no discipline to this movie whatsoever, and that's another thing that bugged me. But th these two people are not just any two people. We have actors of a, a, a modest renown. Modest renown, you're a, right. Modest renown. Who do we got, Bird? Well, first and foremost, I want to shout out uh, Barbara Crampton, mm -hmm. the uh, scream queen who plays the matriarch of this family. However briefly. Uh, um who I immediately recognized. I couldn't put my finger on it. Uh, she was the female romantic lead in Reanimator. That's right. Um, you know, she's got another, you know, handful chopping mall. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so chopping chopping mall. <laughs> really, that's all you have to say. She was in Chopping Mall and Reanimator. Yeah. Uh, but the husband, the husband, his name, the uh, actor's name is Rob Moran, and. Where do we recognize him from? Well, of course, the Farrelly brothers. Over, like we've got him in uh, Dumb and Dumber. Yep, where he plays the villain-ish, I guess the, uh, the the antagonist. If you, uh, the closest thing that the movie has <laughs> to an antagonist. Uh, he was in uh, Me, Myself, and Irene. Definitely, he yep. was also in Kingpin. He's just like one of those pretty boy '90s who had nice floppy black hair and like crystal blue eyes. So I guess he plays the asshole. But he's just kind of here to be dad until he's dead. And he's never been a good actor. He he does sad dad, I guess, okay. Mm. He becomes sad dad when his wife dies. Before we get to all the murder, okay. let's establish the rest of what's going on. So this is a family reunion of sorts. I mean, uh, they have a, an extended family. They have, I suppose, three sons and a daughter named Amy. Yeah. Uh, sons are Drake, I think Crispin, Evan... Felix. Felix? Fuck. Of course, Felix. Yeah. Uh, I wrote that. They, they, they've all got rich kid pretty boy names. Yeah. And Crispin is spelled especially obnoxiously. Oh. Crispane. Crispian. Crispian, or... Crispian. So for the purposes of this podcast, I will be referring to him. I'm going to massacre his name. 
Is he's going to be Crispus? He's going to be uh, crispy. crispy. He's going to be Crispins. And obviously, uh, you know, they got the wrong guy. They got Joe Joe Swanberg to play Drake, but they could have just gotten Drake to play Drake, and he would have <laughs> fit in perfectly with his family. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank thee for thy food. Feed our souls on the bread of life, and help us to do our part with kind words and loving deeds. Amen. 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 And thanks to mom and dad for having us all here together. The premise is that it's the um, the mom and dad's 35th wedding anniversary. Dad's retired from a, what do you call it, a defense contractor. Sure. Uh, and all of his kids are just snotty and, you know, his uh. adult daughter... Amy calls him daddy. Yeah. Uh, Drake is the worst, though. He, the eldest, yeah. the eldest son, he Portrayed is. Portrayed by Joe Swanberg. Yeah, Joe, whatever, Berg. He, he's such a dick. Like, he, he's, he's, his girlfriend's trying to get ready, and he, like, starts undoing her bra and, like, fussing on her, and she's like, I'm not into it right now, which is apparently not the first time she's said that to him. It's like, honey, not right now, this moment. The way she says it, it illustrates to me that he's been a shit to her, or at least, put his paws on her when they weren't welcome. First thing out of his mouth right after that, not like, I'm sorry, baby. Or I understand. You had any Vicodin? Fucking asshole. So you remember there was a day that I uh, was trying to parse out the difference between the words dweeb and twerp? Yeah. This guy's a twerp. This character is a grade A class number one twerp. Why not dwerp? A dwerp. <laughs> He's not a dweeb. He's just a twerp. He's a turd. Yeah. Uh, Next youngest son, uh, beardy, uh, crispy boy. Crispins. He's, uh, you know, like a failed college professor who's hooking up with uh, one, of, one of his students, his former TA. Mm -hmm. The uh, surprisingly compelling, at the beginning of the movie, uh, Aaron is the girlfriend's name, portrayed by uh, Australian actress Sharni Vinson. Mm -hmm. I was like, there's no way by the end of this movie that I'm going to give it. A single solitary shit about this character. <laughs> Turns out by the end of the movie, she's the only character you really give a fuck about. Yeah, because in context, everyone else sucks in their own way. There are other characters too, though, that don't really get like full illumination. Like there's, um, I guess there was someone named Talia. Uh, we don't know anything about her. That was, uh, I, I figured out the those two, Eric Harson and Talia, mm -hmm. are the two. Earring guy and sex girl. Oh, they got killed at the beginning? Yeah. Why even giving them names? What's the point of that? No point So who all. was the woman that gets killed that came in with, uh... I don't even know who she came in with. Who okay. let her in? There, the uh, brunette. You know the one? Yes, yes. Uh, that character's name was... She had a name. Kelly. Kelly was her name. She's forgettable. Kelly, that was the one that was the twerp, uh... Drake's wife. Oh, okay. Yeah, Drake. Uh, everybody... Every one of these kids comes in with their significant other, uh, including a uh, cameo from Ty West yeah. as uh, Tariq. And I love Ty West. A garish scarf. Yeah, he plays himself ostensibly. He's a filmmaker. You know, he's a documentarian filmmaker. His point of being there is mm. so that uh, Joe Swanberg can be the other assholes in his life who who talked down to him about being a, an independent filmmaker. Mm -hmm. It's pretty... I, I thought it was pretty cute and pretty funny. I thought it was a little that. on the nose, because Ty West is not an actor, and he's on screen for a very mercifully short period of time. Um, I love him as a filmmaker. Uh, 
he doesn't he's he's not Quentin Tarantino and that's about the best you can hope for when an actor or a director decides to act in his own movies um so Tyreek what do you do uh <clears throat> I'm a filmmaker is that right oh, wow. Yeah, he's really uh, good. Uh, I don't think I know any filmmakers. That is exotic. Oh, There's not a lot of this out there. Interesting. Well, I've only on made TV? I've not on TV. I've only made one documentary. It was at the Cleveland Underground Film Festival, 2008. What is an underground film festival? Do they show them movies underground? No, 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 no. They show them above ground, but yeah. they. It's really intellectual. They show intellectual. Films. Like an intellectual film festival. I just think, do you do commercials? Because those are my favorite. No. Mm -mm, no. no, he doesn't do commercials. Really? I just think that is just the height of the art form these days. It is just short and punchy. You really got to just zing the ideas on in there. That's why I, I watch TV so, these days. That's why I watch. I mean, it's better than the shows now. Oof. That's a, that's a low bar, I'm too. I'm telling you, it was awful. But uh, he, he doesn't even look like he belongs in movies. He's like, he no, looks he, like somebody's cousin who, who got invited and didn't dress right. Ty, Ty West definitely belongs behind the camera. Yeah. You know, thankfully, Adam Wingard stays behind the camera the whole time. Mm -hmm. He lets uh, Simon Barrett put on one of the masks and get his head bashed in later. Yeah. But so we've got this family sitting around and they're all, you know, rich kids. And, you know, you've got the shitty youngest son felix with his girlfriend his, C. his uh goth girlfriend yeah yeah they don't look shady at all and i love how they uh is, show the establishing photo of the family and felix is off to the corner on the left side which i guess is supposed to subconsciously infer that he is sinister um and he's got this really sullen look on his face everyone else is smiling because you know they're waspy rich people but like we got felix over here he's like nobody will pay for my art project <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and this is my quirky girlfriend, Z. Z. I, I've, I've, if I've only ever known a, a person with a quirky girlfriend named Z in my life. Oh, okay. I see where you're going with this. The dark brooding types, they, yeah, they go for those. They certainly do. So then, out of, no, out of nowhere, after this big argument between brothers, like, throwing shade at each other for their... That's the best part of the movie for me. Is when the brothers start getting into shit. At, finally, we're at dinner. Everyone's sitting around the table. Everyone's eating. There's no food on that table, by the way. I didn't There's see bread. I, I, maybe there was some bread, but there was no food on that table. And if there was, who made that food? It I, wasn't mom. Nope. It wasn't dad. And the movie already established that there was nobody else on the premises. So who the fuck made the food if there was food? I digress. <laughs> this movie makes me mad. So, so fucking mad when I start thinking about it. But then... Crispies and uh, Drake start sh shading each other back and forth, and, and Drake's so good at it. Oh, yeah. I, I knew I was going to hate him. I didn't know I was going to love hate him. Oh, he is the king of smart in this movie. <laughs> like, second Ty West is like, um, I'm, I'm a documentary filmmaker. He's like, you know what I love? Commercials. I think they're so great. They're better than TV shows these days. And he's just like, I know guys who do shit like that. They just like to dismantle people in front of other people. And it's like, you're really good at this. Oh, and, yeah. And then... And then Chris, Crispus Glover decides that he's going to be like, no, I'm standing my ground. How dare you? You know what, man? Let's talk about it. Let's have it out right here in front of our girlfriends because that's sexy. Yeah. So what if I'm unprofessional? I like to sleep with my hot Australian student. Mm -hmm. We are in love. Okay. So red flag out of the gate is when we find out that um, you know, Snap Crackle Crispus decides <laughs> that he's been stupping one of his uh, teachers. But – and he, she was his TA, but she stopped doing that because, you know, they wanted – it didn't look right. And we later find out that she's been bartending so she can pay for her fucking uh, college, student loans. And it's like 
you took her out of her uh, her career, her, her, the trajectory of her career, so you can continue to fuck her. I mean, what she has to do is pick up the slack by being a bartender. And as a bartender, you're a bartender. We're both bartenders. That's the lowest thing you could do to a human being is push them into that vocation. Crispy deserved to die the second I found that out. Made me so mad about that. He, you know, this is the other thing I was thinking about. Uh, Crispus would have been a much better name for uh, Joe Swanberg's character. And this character should have been Drake mm-hmm. because of how soft as a baby bottom he is. Oh, he's soft. Just like Drake, the musical artist. He's just <laughs> the, he's like the fluffiest bed in yeah. the entire store. Yeah, he's cozy. So we established pretty early that Crispy is the, he calls himself a pacifist later. We had some other clever terms for it, like pass a bitch. (laughs) Um, He he establishes early on that he's just, you know, uh, if if Big Brother's a twerp, then he's just a a schmuck. Yeah. He's kind of a putz. Yeah. And then you got... Uh, Not only that, he's an unethical putz. Right. So out of the gate, we already know that his standards of of being an upstanding citizen aren't quite to par. But then when you realize the murderer's row that he's got around him in this table, no one is. This is just an entire family of shitheads who – I mean at that point, you start checking your watch and it's like when does the blood start? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, This is like – this is like the purge with with like a real serious – motivation of just like will you please purge this family uh, purge get them who- out of the gene pool get put their money into some poor people's mm-hmm. hands yeah it was p- the purge once it drank some surge <laughs> so then yeah they're they're fighting and that's when the shit uh, begins to hit the proverbial fan yeah because ty west i guess gets up out of his chair because he's over it but no he sees he sees something he's like What's that in the window? window. But how does he see it from the angle he's at? Uh, Ty West's character, Tariq, was... Tariq. Yeah. He he could see a little something over there in the window, so he gets up and he walks slowly and he's going to go check it out. Uh, And he catches a fucking bolt to the dome. Yeah. Catches just a big crossbow arrow they don't straight savor that moment either it's just kind of like a moment where something happens and it cuts back to the tables argument and then you everyone see his body in the background he kind of staggers and you can kind of make it out in the top left corner of the film that he's got an arrow in his head and then everyone just kind of stops and looks and i guess it they want to be polite so everyone has a chance to look before somebody starts to fucking scream it takes forever. I started counting Mississippis before the time it took for everyone to start freaking out that Ty West just got his head shut off. Oh, and do they freak out? They do. It's like five minutes of nonstop, like, trauma-esque screaming. Screaming and crawling, mm-hmm. and and then Joe Swamberg catches a, an arrow in the back, which is a source of a lot of laughs in this movie, mm-hmm. is Joe Swamberg's arrow in the back. Right. And from the, that point on, this is pretty much just a nonstop... Gore fest. It is, but it's unfocused. It, there's really very little rhyme and reason. The first two kills are the best kills because uh, Ty West gets the bolt in the head, and then their it's... first impulse is for somebody to run out. Oh god, that entire sequence is yeah. definitely one of the highlights of the movie. Yeah, that's the, one of the more creative kills it has. They, they they're standing around the front door and they're like, "All right, whoever's out there shooting arrows at us isn't going to expect." one of us to just hightail it 
whoever, whichever one of us is, and they talk about who is the, the fastest. fastest. And then Amy cries, none of you ever gave me any credit. And I'm like, fuck you, lady. She takes her shoes off. She mm-hmm. says, daddy, I can do this. Mm-hmm. She's about to run to just like bolt out the door to the car. I'm pretty sure she doesn't have any fucking car keys with her. No. But <laughs> let's let let's let precious little Amy figure that out. Daddy, I can do this. And I, I wasn't expecting it. I thought she was just going to get, you know, like a hatchet or something. No. Yeah. She runs throat first into <laughs> piano wire. Yeah. And it's it something. is beautiful. It's a yeah. beautiful moment. I was It was definitely one of the kills that had me going like, yeah, all right, I'm in this. Make a run for the cars and no, try to go no, get help. We can't go out there. Mom, it's the only way. It's the only way we're out of this. Whoever's the fastest runner? Who, who is that? I'm the fastest, but I've got this fucking arrow in my back. What does your shoulder have to do with your legs? I'm the fastest. He has a fucking arrow in his back. Stop yelling at me, Kelly. I fucking know what it has to do with your legs if you've ever run, you fat fuck. I'm not fat Now, as a uh, superhero film uh, buff, I, I called a little bit of shenanigans on that because in Blade, Blade used to keep garrot wire in his belt, and he and if anyone came running at him, he would just and just cut their head clean off. So maybe she's not a vampire. Well, not just that, but this this isn't that wasn't quite garrot wire. This yeah. was like thicker piano wire. You can't see it, but mm-hmm. it was enough to slice her throat and I feel knock like her it. back. It would have been really clever if, like later on, somebody's like. Uh, walking around the house and they come across the piano, which is conspicuously open and they look and the G chord is gone. You mean the G string? The G string. Yeah, but that would have been, again, too thoughtful for, for this. Yeah. I think, and I think that it's starting so to get easy. a theme that the carelessness and haphazard nature of this movie is rubbing you the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But I kind of liked it. No, that's fine. I want you, I want people to like things. Yeah, that's right. Even though I do, you know, bluster a lot when I don't like something, that doesn't that should not imply that I want somebody else to to hate it as much as I do. Like I and I even use the word hate like I even mean it. I don't <laughs> hate this movie. Every movie that I watch, I want to have a semblance of consistency. If you're going to be a genre piece, conform to genre conventions. If you're going to deconstruct genre conventions, do it in a clever and insightful way. If you're going to smash genre conventions, then do it with a whole new set of rules and innovate. If you can't do either of those things, then fuck off. Get out of here. Why are you wasting my time? They're, like we said earlier, Netflix is filled. It's a graveyard of just shitty, crappy, half-assed horror movies. The only reason your next stands up I and mean, above it is because it's a it's pedigree so good. Like there are people in the mumble gore uh, subgenre that have a name like Ty West and now Adam Wingard. Um, people that can back this thing to make it what it is. Beyond that, beyond the pedigree, this movie would be right there with the next uh, the rest of them because this one really bugs me in places. Now, so after uh, Amy gets her throat sliced, that's when the chaos kind of rolls downhill. Mm-hmm. But very quickly, it's established that Aaron. The foxy Australian girlfriend of the schlubby guy, Chris Crispo. <laughs> I wanted to call her Zoe Bell. She kept jumping through windows and shit. She was something. Yeah, she establishes pretty quickly that she is the badass. Because mm-hmm. conveniently enough, she grew up in a, a, a survivalist cult. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. That's something that they have in Australia. I don't know. Is you it? been to Australia? No, but when you go to the Outback, you go there to eat at the steakhouse, no. right? No, oh. you go there to go on safaris with... 
uh, Crocodile Dundee, mm-hmm. and you look out for the hijinks of Kangaroo Jack. Yeah. And if you're lucky, you go hop onto the Hobbit Island that's right next door to Australia. I just naturally assume that happened directly after you get off the plane and Mel Gibson gives you your Welcome to Australia pamphlet. Yeah, the one that says, uh, no Jews. That's Mel Gibson's pamphlet. That's why they don't. That's why they kicked him off the tourism board of Australia. They're like, oh, I don't know about that mail. Anyway, <laughs> he's now- going off the deep end. That one. <laughs> oh, I think he's been smoking some coral reefer. Oh, All right. Man. Now that we're off a little Australian tangent, the Australian character turns out to be, as you said, a member of a survivalist cult. Basically, when she was a kid, so she is prepared. Far more prepared than any of the, the yuppie scum in this movie. She's like Kevin McAllister. She's nailing hammers through planks of wood, and she knows her way around a meat cleaver and a she's, meat tenderizer. She's like the first person that's like collecting weapons, and she's like everybody has to have a weapon, and they're all just like crying and sobbing. Everybody's dead weeping. And then, uh, you know, mom. That was a really bad Australian. Thank music. you. And of course, you know, after mommy's little girl dies, it's like the only thing she can think to do is go lay down. And cry. And get fucking murdered. Machete in the head. And Machete in the heady. It, it's so deeply embedded in her dome, too, by the way, that it stands upright. They they cover her up with a blanket. The machete's still sticking there. And you said out loud, it's like, pull it out of her head. You're going to need that thing soon. And yeah, that's another part of its failed logic. The, the, Poor Barbara Crampton. Yeah. The best that this family can offer is you've got Detective Dad, mm-hmm. who's just snooping around the house. <laughs> no idea what he's doing. He, he, that's his. That's the first stage of grief. When yeah. your wife has been slaughtered, you just start moping around the house looking for clues. <laughs> looking for clues. <laughs> that's what he was doing. Yeah. He was looking for blues clues. Yeah, he was. And then, suspiciously, you've got the dark and brooding son who's like, oh, they must have used a jammer. Did you ever look that up to see if there's no if we can really buy a thirty dollar jammer on the internet? Because that line of dialogue was so horrifically awful and should have set everyone's in that room spider sense of blazing and the fact that it didn't and we're supposed to just accept it, I just let it go. Because for shady brother to say right after two people have been murdered in quick succession, like phones don't work because they're using a, a, a phone jammer. And it's like, how the fuck do you know that? How but, how would you know that, pretty boy? Like, where do who do you hang out with now? Unless you're hanging out with creepy, you know, former soldiers who are taking mercenary jobs now to slaughter entire wealthy families. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. but that doesn't occur to anybody, so we just let it go. He's the bad boy of the family. Oh, fuck me. Obviously, the uh, next red flag that comes along mm-hmm. is the uh, schlubby Crisco decides yeah. he's just gonna <laughs> run for help. After this is after Kelly, the uh, Drake's wife, gets her head bashed in with an axe over at uh, the yeah, neighbor's, neighbor's house. house, and then uh, she returns as uh, the one of one too many shocks the uh, jump scares. Mm-hmm. And Adam Wingard, fuck you with your jump scares. He did a way too much in Blair Witch. Like it got to the point where I was like, I'm gonna walk out of this fucking movie. It's stupid. This is stupid. That's they right. Do- I-, I forgot. I forgot how her body got back. It's because the murder gang threw her through the mm-hmm. window for a jump scare. Let's talk about the policy on jump scares in slasher films in general. Mm-hmm. Because for me, a jump scare, you you are allowed two in a horror movie. 
Two. Uh, in a slasher movie. Zero in any other horror movie. I say three. Three? But that uh, one jump scare is you get one jump scare before the chaos starts. Mm -hmm. That one pre... I'm talking just before, though. Like, when already we're kind of nervous and shit's looking like one, it's going south. You get one fake out. Yeah. And then you get two real. The, the real one's fine. And Kelly's... Uh, body getting hurled through the window in this movie is definitely the only worthy jump scare because after that here comes the killer one of many apparently um because they all wear stupid uh animal masks like they're dejected batman villains so yeah we get the jump scare and we jump right into the first you know fist pumping moment in the movie where um uh yeah. Aaron. Aaron, thank you. Uh, the Australian <laughs> gets her first kill, and and it's magnificent. Like she picks up that meat tenderizer. First thing, crack the knee inside. And as a person who suffered a knee injury, and I know that you have uh, some uh, bum knees, like that had to hurt. Oh, and I, then and she she took him down. Yeah. And when he was down, what did she do? Kept taking him down. <laughs> Bashed his brains in. Yeah. Yeah. With a meat tenderizer, left. and. And you can see then, like, the uh, bad boy and Z mm -hmm. are just like, uh, uh, what are we supposed to do now? <laughs> I don't like the sound of them apples well. <laughs> uh, but just, let's talk about the blood really quick, because this is where you actually get to see a bunch of it at once. Mm -hmm. And, like, um, when just before Kelly dies, you get to see a little bit of the um, blood smeared on her face. And it's the first time that you see a splatter like that, and it looks deep red. But, like, earlier in the movie when the Your Next is painted on the window and then later on with this guy's head bashed in, it looks like ketchup. It looks like SpaghettiOs. It does. It It's orange. Yeah, there's it's like Cholula and, and SpaghettiOs. Right. It's like, what were they using for blood? Because it looks terrible. Probably tomato sauce because it's cheap and tasty. Like, the big, great kill uh, towards the end of the movie, like, it just looked like somebody was pouring chili sauce down dude's face. But we'll talk about that later. A lot of the gore in this movie made me hungry. Yeah. Made me hungry, too. Uh, I want a chili dog. I want a sloppy Joe. I want a sloppy Joe. <laughs> uh, I think the most prescient thing that I said while we were watching this movie yeah. was after she got up, just beat one of the murderer's brains out. Uh, at one point, you know, like she stabs one of the guys. Um, she is out for blood. And yeah. I just said, this is a murder party, bitch. <laughs> And that's kind of what this movie is. It's, yeah. it's a murder party. It's a murder party. It's a murder-themed uh, Halloween party. That's what it is. And if that were the case, like, oh, let's play murder party. Whoops, someone's taking it a little too far. That would have been something. But instead it's, you know, stupid family dinner gets ruined by a night of slaughter. Oh, oops! Didn't didn't see this coming. Mm -mm. The well, who the hell would? <laughs> you know? Well, no, I was gonna say didn't see this coming. The uh, schlubby brother and the shitty brother colluding against the family to, you know, yeah. to hurry up their inheritance. Do we ever find out what Drake did for a living? Why he was so successful and why Crushin uh, was so jealous of him? Uh, I think he was just a professional smarmer. Smarmer. So. Uh, politician uh a lawyer lawyer definitely lawyer yeah yeah you know some one of those real jobs mm -hmm. so uh the movie wraps up uh pretty quickly with with the uh, the reveal that schlubby brother after the jammers turned off yeah uh shows back up to 
you know, well, thinking everything's done. You're skipping over my favorite stupid scene when um, Xander and uh, Z, what's his name? <laughs> Felix? Felix. Felix and Z decide that they're going to uh, survey mom's body. And she all of a sudden starts getting... She getting gets a, horned up. She gets horned up. And she's like, fuck me on the bed where your next mother's your, corpse is. Next to your dead mom. Yeah, yeah, her exact words is, I want you to fuck me next to your dead mom. And it's like, who are you? What is your thing? Do you have a thing? Or is this just what they wanted you to say in this moment? Like, Z has no presence in this movie whatsoever. She has no business being in this movie whatsoever. It's glaring to have her there. It made it obvious that there was something up with Felix to begin with. And then just to have her take her top off and go, Hey, come on, let's uh, get up on each other right next to your mother's now decomposing corpse. It's like, this. What? come on, guys. Is that the best you can do? You already got two tit shots earlier in this movie. You got greedy. You never, you never want to do anything interesting, yeah. says the girl with combat boots. Yeah. <laughs> what? And, and he yeah. immediately his line, his line of retort was like, "I don't think that's a fair criticism." Yeah, it's uh, like the the intellectualism. I can imagine their evenings together in their crappy little one bedroom studio apartment where they uh, lay on the rug and drink wine because she was looking at that wine earlier in the movie like she was about to fuck it. Mm -hmm. And like they talk about Proust and another equally masturbatory shit like that. Like I went to college. I met plenty of people like Z and plenty of people like Felix and I hated all of them. Mm -hmm. It's like, can we talk about comics or something? Do you want to go outside and get drunk? No, that sounds, that doesn't sound like fun. That's not their brand of fun. No, their fun is to philosophize and be sad and be sad and hire people for wholesale murder maybe they did drugs i don't see drugs coming from either of them i mean i know that z is supposed to be like edgy because she applied one extra line of mascara around her eyes but like i don't see drugs coming off of her or felix if anything if felix has one fundamental problem that i can just infer from this whole thing is that he uh just wants He's a sociopath who finally is like pulling the trigger on something really horrific. Mm-hmm. Like he's the guy who's finally snapped, but he just like his brother Crusty, uh, uh, um, he's too much of a uh, of a puss to actually do it himself. So he's going to hire soldiers, I guess, because movie. Yeah, yeah. mercenaries. Yeah, they're mercenaries. Hire mercenaries. And not even pay them in advance. No. I'll pay you with the money that I'm gonna get. <laughs> I once promise. You murder my whole family. And I'm not talking about like you know sniper shots or a bomb, which would have been clean. You know, I'm talking like melee weapons, and you have to get in there. You have to get in there and slaughter these people. Also, my neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't mind, that's practice. Now I don't know how many people are actually going to show up to this dinner party. We put a plus one on the invite, so it, just anticipate sixteen people. Make sure that you have <laughs> sixteen crossbow bolts, and I'll pay you afterwards. Oh yeah, the fuck. <laughs> that's the thing. This movie, this movie is messy. It's and bad. it's all over the place. But you know what though? What? After watching the back-to-back trauma movies, I don't mind messy and bad, but but don't fun. You, see, you see the difference between trauma messy and this messy. Well, like trauma is messy with uh, like determination. Like it is determined to be trash cinema. It is determined to do this, but it's also playing by a set of rules. This yeah. is just two guys that had way too much money uh, were allowed to make a movie. 
That's that's what this was. And now we're paying for it with Blair Witch. If the guest hadn't come out between these two movies, I'd be telling somebody to pull his DGA card. Mm. Get him the fuck out. I I respectfully disagree, and I think that uh, that this is a fine entry when you look back at uh, the VHS, mm-hmm. ABCs of Death. I saw the potential in VHS. VHS 2. I would prefer the haphazard horror of mumble gore mm-hmm. to uh, every single like film student who has ever liked a scary movie decides to make a uh, gross, you know, uh, B C level movie that they can get uh, distributed by the asylum or, sure. okay. you know, on Netflix, well, the, those one stars. So have you seen uh, the house of the devil? Uh, I've seen it before. Yeah. Have you seen Blue Ruin? I haven't seen Blue Ruin. Now, those are my two examples of mumble gourd now that I have them, now that I know I can use them in this context. Well, and you know, the other that I know you've seen is The Innkeepers. Of course, The Innkeepers. Innkeepers, lesser great Thai West stuff. Enjoyed it far less. Funny in places, not very scary. Um, very, really long movie. Um, House of the Devil, very concise. Um, knew what it was. Scared the shit out of you when it wanted to and uh, walked away with a what the fuck Rosemary's Baby kind of ending. Uh, Blue Ruin is kind of like the Citizen Kane of Mumblecore now that I know this exists because (laughs) it's so methodical and the shit that happens is unreal, but it feels so realistic at the same time, too. So when it starts, when the first starts to really fly, you feel it like it's a movie where you just want to take a shower afterwards. You're like, fuck. And the follow-up uh, from that director, he made uh, Green Room, which is far more audacious and far more uh, fantastic in the terms of uh, it being sillier mm-hmm. and far gorier. <laughs> but um, I think watching those two movies and now I'm comparing them to your next is a fair comparison. Because if they're uh, living within this subgenre and we have to create a whole new spectrum of quality now, now I have the left end of the spectrum – Mr. Your Next is right there in the shittiest part of it all. Now I'm going to start exploring this whole... I'm going to spend the next month watching these movies now. I wonder if I'm going to regret it. You know, uh, there are far worse movies that you could spend the month watching. I guess that's true. Where's Felix? I stuck a blender in his head and killed him. Oh. Okay. I can't believe you were in on this. Come on, babe. You do know how broke we are, right? You would have killed me. No. That was never supposed to happen. Even if you hadn't meant to kill me, you must have known I could have died. No. You were supposed to be the witness. A person with a clean record that could attest that our family and neighbors had been murdered by unknown lunatics. It was, in fact, a very important part of my plan that you be unharmed. We needed someone with no motive to see what had happened here. Someone other than Z, obviously. Where is Z? I killed her too. Oh. Totally understand. Wrapping things up, Mm -hmm. here's my question. Okay. What's your biggest guilty pleasure slasher film mm. now you know there are a ton of really just bottom barrel bad yeah. slasher movies um i think we called it the 80s 
um, <laughs> where the money and the cocaine flowed a little too loosely. Yeah, I think it flowed the most loosely in A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. That movie is surreal in the sense that it could be taken as a parable on the homosexual experience in 80s America, but it doesn't dare go that far. So it has all this crazy subtext that could have even been innovative at the time, but instead it, it's just parlayed into creepy and at worst um, insulting. Um, and I watch it because it is the sequel to um, one of my favorite iconic horror franchises, but um, it's flanked by two vastly superior movies. Um, it, but if I had to pick one guiltily and watch it with like a smirk on my face and half a bottle of bourbon in me, definitely Nightmare 2. What about you? Uh, well, I have a lot of, if you break down all the subgenres of horror, mm -hmm. I have a lot of guilty pleasures for each category, but with a slasher that gets me the most riled up is Death Spa. Death Spa? Death Spa. You're going to have to explain that one to me, Bert. Oh, my God. Do you remember when we watched The Toxic Avenger? Mm -hmm. And the there was a lot of the movie took place in a spa. Yeah. And there was murder. Yes. Imagine the entire movie minus an actual like central monstrosity as a character, mm -hmm. but just a bunch of murders happening in a 1980s health spa. <laughs> it's a slasher flick with all of the, you know, uh, horror tropes and the most ridiculous ways you can think of people to die inside a gym and health spa. What's your favorite kill in the movie? Um, you know, there's not one that is above and beyond the sum of the parts. Mm -hmm. There's a guy who gets his face melted in a tanning, tanning bed. There's a woman who has a spike driven through her throat from uh, a locker. Damn. There's an entire shower full of naked women showering who just get melted alive by that someone turns the water too hot. Mm. It's just like they found, you know, and of course there's like someone gets their head crushed by weights and things like that. It's, it's like any possible way that you can think to ruin someone's life and murder them inside a spa. Yeah. It happens. Wow. And it's just, it's so dumb and so gory, but I love watching it. I might have to throw that in the queue this week. They are the rich and the beautiful. They have the best and they want it all. So they come to the world's most exclusive health spa to use the latest equipment. But beneath the surface, something is lurking, something unholy, something deadly. Death Spa, the place for a killer workout. You know what? You inspired me. I change, I change my vote, if okay. I may. Uh, Slaughter High. I can't believe I forgot about this one. But you know it's like a, a reunion of sorts in their old abandoned school. And like one of their fellow students was like a psycho patient who mysteriously disappeared. And he starts picking them off one by one. Yeah, that movie. I'm watching that again. Holy shit. That's really all you need for, you know, if you want to make a great 1980s slasher flick, mm -hmm. you have the formula that you came up with earlier and you just have one crazy person just getting revenge. Yeah. And because that's all you need. You need one or, excuse me, antagonist just like haunting these people. That's why Michael Myers is such an effective villain. Yep. Not because he's charismatic because he ain't got shit to say. It's because he's there and he's got an agenda, at yep. least in the first movie. 
and make sure that whoever the best actor amongst your group of friends is, is the one that actually lives to the end. Right. Maybe don't give that role to the person with the thickest accent. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And I suppose that's all the time we have this week for Anti-Monitor. Thanks, as always, for listening to us. Rate and subscribe on iTunes if you haven't already. And if you have, thank you so much for your support. Um, Say hi to us on Twitter. If you have suggestions for future episodes of Anti-Monitor, we'd love to hear them. I'm at Jared Jones underscore Birdie. Where will they find you? At Bird Money. Thank you very much, Bird. And in the meantime, uh, we remain Anti-Monitor. I am Jared. That's Bird. And from the rest of us at DoomRocket.com, Did you just die already? This is hard enough for me.